Today's podcast, we're going back to the old school, Stanford Steve from SportsCenter. We're going to do a bunch of college football preview stuff. I'm going to talk about Cam Newton being cut, news this morning, and uh, a new batch of life advice, including a statement that needed to be issued, I guess. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Today's the final cutdown day, the 53-man roster. And if you're on the East Coast or waking up on the West Coast, news of Cam Newton being cut. Uh, kind of the headline here is New England has decided to go with Mac Jones as their starting quarterback this year. So let's back up. We had a few teams that needed to make decisions. And um, feel free, guys, if you want to jump in at some point here at the end of this. because. I think there's some where we thought like, okay, are the Jets really making a decision other than Zach Wilson, especially when you look at the rest of the depth chart at that position? I mean, the Jets are just going for it here. Um, who else? Jacksonville had to make a decision. They went Trevor Lawrence. I don't think anybody was shocked by that one. I think the only thing you could look at is the handling of the Gardner Minshew deal. Was it brilliant in the way they handled him as if he were a real option and therefore they got something for him in a trade with the Colts? Or was it a complete waste of time in a charade when Lawrence was always going to be the starter and then... Lawrence wasn't getting enough reps. And that's something that we hear all the time. And as I get older, and I'll, sometimes I'll push back a little bit, no one's ever told me reps actually aren't important. Okay, I'm not arguing that. But I guess I I don't know that I always believe that if like a guy isn't taking every single rep that somehow like deters his career at some point. So it depends. There was opinions all over the place on the weekend on the Gardner Minshew deal. Brilliant or a complete waste of time. But Jacksonville's going with their guy. Um, Houston's a whole nother topic. We'll get to the Deshaun Watson trade rumor stuff that was going on this weekend as well. Denver goes with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Chicago, uh, you know, honestly, Bears Twitter is so insufferable right now. Um, and not that I've ever put Bears Twitter in that group with other fan bases, but like the amount of angst and depression that all Bears people have. And even like it's it's leaked over into people that have no emotional attachment to the Bears whatsoever. The fact that Nagy... <laughs> Like just keep pushing back on Justin Fields starting. I I kind of feel like it's becoming a waste of time because look, here's what's going to happen: Dalton's not going to be that great, and then Fields is going to play. And I don't know that it'll prevent the Bears from making the playoffs. Um, who knows? It's the NFL, you never know. You switch out half the teams. Um, the Saints going with Jameis. Uh, that honestly shouldn't be surprising whatsoever. And then Trey Lance and, and Garoppolo. I don't. I don't know that that was really much of anything there. Um, and Trey Lance did hurt his finger, but that's not that big of a deal, apparently. Um, if I go back and 
and jump on one of these. The Deshaun Watson, he turns 26 in a couple of weeks. The rumor was that they were going to get three first and two seconds. I don't know. There's some ballsy front office people. I don't know who would have both the equity built up with the city. Although, you know, look, if, if we're being grownups about how these decisions come about, as tough as the allegations are against Deshaun, and there's a ton, I don't know how you trade for him because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen with the NFL, the player protocol, because they got to wait out some of this stuff. And there's the civil charges. And apparently, I think there's 10 criminal charges now. I don't know who would trade for that guy. But I think if, if we're all being honest here, there's a good portion of NFL fans. If you ended up with 26-year-old Deshaun Watson, you'd be like, all right, we'll see how this goes. Ride this out. I mean, be you know you would have that. You know you would have that conversation with yourself or with your buddies being like, well, you know, we'll see how this goes. But the idea that you don't know what any of those are and then you give up three firsts and two seconds. Look, I, I would never rule out any transaction, but that's that's a huge ask with that kind of uncertainty that played out. All right, so then you have the Pats. Anybody around New England, you know what's weird is last year guys around the Pats were telling me Stidham was better in camp than Cam. Um, Cam Newton, as we spent a lot of time talking about him last year, uh, as the season progressed, I thought it was one of the worst seasons from a quarterback that I've seen is like week to week, somebody that's supposed to be a guy. He's clearly Cam at his worst is still better than some of these other guys that should never even be starters. But with Cam Newton, there's a, there's a minimum level of expectation of what you're supposed to see there. Uh, yes, there were opt outs. Um, yes, the Patriots are bad at the skill position guys. Yes, he got COVID, um, and, you know, after that Seattle game, you're thinking Cam Newton's the best signing in the history of free agency, uh, a million bucks a year. And, and everybody's freaking out about it. And then it falls off. I mean, he had five touchdowns total, five passing touchdowns total going into the last week against the Jets. So for the season, he had five and then ended up with eight. I, I've told you numerous times as you watch it play out and people kind of figure it out. And I don't know if it was COVID. I don't know if it was injury or what. It was just got worse and worse and worse. So when the announcement that the Pats were re-signing Cam for a deal that could have gotten to $13.6 million. Um, Cam still made $3.5 million on this deal. That's, that's not a very smart deal by the Pats. Um, you want to talk about depth? I don't know. You just, you just threw $3.5 million at a guy that, that couldn't beat out a rookie. And after watching Cam fall apart last year, you go, all right, who are you bidding against? Um, because the initial deal was, you know, announced at like $7 million, and then it was like, no, it's 13.6 with incentives. It's like, okay, what's the realistic base? Like, what, what's he going to make if he plays? And it still was going to be, you know, I think 6 or $7 million. And I thought, wow, they went, not only did they do that deal early with Cam, um, you know, they, they bumped him up quite a bit from where they were before. I think anybody, and this is kind of me getting it from people that are around the team. Uh, I'm not one of those people, as we all know, but I wouldn't say this stuff unless I were, you know, feeling a little bit little uh i was just confident about the information and that you know for the concerns about cam the non-quarterback like what's his personality going to be how's he going like they loved him they really did by all accounts i think there was some serious frustration that he wasn't vaccinated and that if you're starting quarterback who then again messes up the testing protocol but like look i can even have sympathy for cam messing up the testing thing when i was coming back from overseas i, I was convinced i had it wrong the whole time you ask somebody you get Whoever you ask, you get five different answers. I can see somebody screwing it up. The difference is, is I'm not a starting quarterback in the NFL and nobody's depending on me. Um, so you have to make sure you get that stuff right. So 
I think that part was frustrating, but I don't think it's, hey, Cam's not vaccinated. We're getting rid of this guy because I actually think Belichick liked him and the locker room clearly respected him. It's that Mac Jones, whether it was watching during the preseason games or more importantly, all the reps that he was taking, Mac Jones is the better quarterback. He was better. And if Cam wasn't much better than he was last season, then I actually don't think that's a huge surprise. Um, and as I've said throughout with any of the first round quarterbacks, I feel good about the extremes, who's going to be really good, who isn't going to be good. If Sam Ellinger ends up being like a 10 year starter in the pros, I'm going to be shocked. Uh, that would be on the extreme side of like, you know, he kind of looks like GNC, no coupon Tebow. And I, I, you know, I hear about him in the mix. I was like, my gosh, like that's not who I watch in college at all. Um, Mac Jones or stuff I really like. There's some stuff that I thought there were limitations, but apparently Josh McDaniels is like this guy runs the offense exactly the way I want him to run the offense. And for Cam, if the physical part isn't right, um, there's going to be a lot of pre-snap stuff that just isn't going to happen with Cam. He's just not going to do that stuff as much. And it's been noted, and you saw it play out there first time. So uh, I also saw Chris Long tweet out saying, hey, this is actually Belichick doing Cam a huge favor by getting him out of there now and seeing if he can land somewhere else. But with the vaccination protocols and everything else going on, uh, you know, I don't I don't know how desirable Cam Newton is, but he's going to he, you have to think he's going to end up on some kind of roster and knowing he already pocketed some money on this deal, too. So not a shock that it went this way, but I think him being cut is is the surprising part of this. If he were going to lose his job to Mac Jones, I don't think anybody I, I don't know that any of us would have said no way. You know, he's Cam's going to st- start every single game this year. But being being out on cut down day is kind of a surprise. I, I know, Kyle, you ordered a jersey last year, correct? Yeah, yeah, I did. But how's that going? I mean, it's going. I I guess I what I had thought a while ago that like, listen, Super Bowl is not in the plans. It's just something I've gotten used to, and 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 at least thinking should we, will we show up? Will we not? I was like, at least a good storyline was like a good Cam comeback season, and we show up with like nine, ten wins, and it's because Cam like had a couple good games and whatever. That's so that's not going to happen. But I guess my question is. I thought so. I was listening to you talk about how much money he was going to get, even if he didn't hit all of his incentives. And I just realized I was wrong. I thought it was $1.5 million to have him for the year. And like, he's better than Hoyer, right? Why couldn't we have him be the backup? But so I guess what I'm saying is if he never started a game, would he have just only gotten like 1.5? What's the 1.5 million I keep seeing? There was a base. His base was 1.5. His signing bonus was 2 million. So I believe, based on what I've read today, and again, you never know what the NFL stuff, um, that he already pocketed 3.5 million and then maybe like another 100 grand for something. Mm. That the max version of what he could have made was 13.6. But I mean, I have to imagine that a lot of that was um, probably some playing incentives. But I doubt if he just was awful and, and played all season, he would get 13.6 million. So now none of that matters. Um, and good for him. You know, he was able to pocket some money here. But I th- I still think that's kind of like a, that's quite the tab to eat. Now when you go, okay, now we have Hoyer. Oh, they they freaking love Hoyer, though. I mean, they love him. He's no castle. <laughs> like Hoyer, Hoyer's going to be on the team for, you know, I, I, I've, I, <laughs> you know, Hoyer, there's like nothing that, I mean, it, it, Hoyer just screams limitations. And they love having him around. So there's that. And then Stidham, who I've, I've never been as high on as, um, now I've always had this joke about every New England Patriots backup quarterback being like the most overrated player in sports because 
every time they have somebody, then I'll read Pat's media people talk that guy up like all the time and rarely um, do they work out. Although, you know what, Garoppolo, Brissett, there was a stretch in the middle there. There was a Rohan Davey to Ryan Mallett stretch where that guy for a long time was overrated. But the fact that they turned Garoppolo and Brissett into starters, then who knows? Maybe they're back. Maybe they're back in business. Kyle, you grabbing the new Mac Jones jersey? Yeah, I don't think I have much of a choice. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go <laughs> defensive guys. I was going to be like Gilmore's my guy, but they're about to screw me over on that choice too. So I'll just stick with my Chandler Jones jersey for now. Well, you know what you could do is you could just add zero, right, and then you know put some duct tape over over Cam's name and just put Mac Jones on the back, and then you can test the water. It's not. It's not Halloween, Saruti. You can't just start. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you want to dive all the way in, you could just you know you could dip your toe in the water for a second. No, I'll just pay the money and just be sad about whatever happens. That's fair. Let's talk some college ball. Stay for Steve coming up next. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. The star of Scott Van Pelt Sports Center at Stanford, Steve. What's going on, man? Already trying to stir up the feathers, huh, aren't you? One night back and you're going to just come right at it with your stick to Ryan. <laughs> uh this is this is my guy you guys know that we spent more time together uh at least i did with him as i always joke i was with him more than any other person over i think about a six-year stretch a lot of people called those people married um yeah but that was that was not the case for me um all right let's talk college ball i don't want to pick the four teams for the playoffs i don't want to pick bama clemson oklahoma ohio state although it's very tough it is I have a really hard time seeing Clemson, not only because I like their quarterback, I like their depth um, on defense, and I love their schedule. And even if they lose to Georgia, I I just don't see them not winning the ACC considering how the schedule shakes out. And look, they don't have Notre Dame, they don't have North Carolina, and they don't have Miami, mm-hmm. which is which is unbelievable that they miss all of those teams. Um. Yeah, I, 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 they do have to play Boston College. Watch out for Boston College this year. I know all your buddies up in Boston will be fired up because they're huge college football fans in that city. Um, but Good yeah, chance. I mean, I heard la- you last week with Bruce going through the conference championships between those four teams. It's astounding. And when I got to the end of last year, I was really worried the sport was broken 
because I understand, you know, we don't want to be, you know, we at the college football level, it's not everybody gets a trophy, but I do think about the opportunity, right? And and, and with there, I go with the group of five, okay? And obviously Cincinnati goes 9-0 and last year, get their Peach Bowl, you know, they have their arguments. Obviously, they're not going to get it. It's a, it, in, one, in a year where they didn't have one of those wins and no out-of-conference games, they're not getting in. But for somebody to break through, it's got to be somebody like that. Like a group of five, we go back to UCF. They're probably the best group of five, uh, you know, of all time, going undefeated. And they didn't get an opportunity. And that it goes back to their schedule because they missed an ACC game. I think it was against Georgia Tech that year. That got po- that got canceled, evidently. But like Cincinnati got road games at Indiana and at Notre Dame this year. They got a guy, a quarterback, who everybody talks about this offseason has taken that stride to get into the, the top 10 quarterback, you know, that McShay's big board, all that stuff. So I look at Cincinnati as a team with opportunity. I look at Oklahoma, and I just think about the contrast and styles they have to Iowa State. And when you look at Iowa State, I know there was, you know, some things thrown around the offseason about these, you know, analytics guys and what they would make the point spread if, if Iowa State played Alabama on a neutral site and all this stuff. But when you look at the way Matt Campbell's constructed Iowa State, right, it's there's no five stars, there's no four stars, it's three stars, player development, everybody came back. And now they got NFL guys at running back, at tight end, defense, linebacker. And, you know, you look at Lincoln Riley with Rattler, who's as aggressive as a a quarterback as there is out there. And, you know, we used to call it all the time when you were doing the show, Ryan, fake. I I called it fake momentum, right? Quarterback back, coaches back, you won your bowl game, right? And when you really look at Oklahoma last year, and they, you know, they kept going up and up and up and up. But when you look at it, okay, they pummeled Florida and when Florida treated that Cotton Bowl as a spring game, right? They lose or they beat Iowa State because Purdy plays the worst game of his career and throws three picks. I think it's the only time he ever did it. So I just look at that game down the road because it's such a contrast to style. Iowa State tries to keep everything in front of you. And they're one of the few teams in the country that will take five yards a clip and keep staying in third and short situations to keep that pressure on the defense. So that's what's fascinating to me when you talk about two teams from outside the mix and, you know, that, that could break through those because I put Georgia in that top five. I put Georgia because I think they they're going to get the benefit of it out too because what they've done recently and obviously what they've done recruiting. So something you and I were talking about when it comes to Oklahoma and Iowa State, and this is the part that sucks that we're frustrated by as a sport, but it's just what happens is mm-hmm. Iowa State luckily has you know Iowa their second mm-hmm. week. All right, so it's a top twenty-five team, um, and then it gets real slim the rest mm-hmm. of the way. Although the Big 12, I don't think gets enough credit for how much deeper it's been the last couple of years. Like everybody's just so dismissive of the Big 12. And you're like, you know what? There's a lot of teams there that actually don't suck, that are tough outs on a Saturday if you're not ready to go. But I know no one wants to believe that outside of the Big 12. Then they got Texas. Who knows what they're going to be in November? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I never know with them anymore <laughs> at this point. With Sark, like I'm hoping for it. But if yep. they were top 10, I wouldn't be surprised. And if they were two and six, you know, I don't know. Although mm-hmm. that would be a little surprise. Anyway, so they have Oklahoma. They're at Norman. And that's their second to last game. The problem here, like say Iowa State gets that one and they lose the rematch if it's the Big 12, <laughs> Oklahoma will get in. Yeah. If Iowa State loses and wins the rematch, then probably no one gets in from the Big 12, depending on, again, 
we're mm-hmm. long overdue for some, some sort of anarchy and maybe a couple two lost conference champs looking to get in. Like this is going to happen at some point. I don't like that it's been these four teams over yep. and over again. I can't believe that it continues this way, but eventually this cycle will be broken up and we're going to start having surprises. But the the who have you been stuff that you know, I know Canell used to freak out about all the time with the SEC, but this this is the part where it's a reality, where I don't know if Iowa State's getting the rematch benefit of the doubt the way the Sooners would be to get a Big 12 team in. I totally agree, and I agree with you on the Big 12. I love the coaching hires that have been made when it comes to Iowa State, Kansas State, all right? I mean, Kansas is as bad as it's been, but you got to go get a guy that can rebuild the program. They went and did that, and I think Texas is the outlier because – when you talk about the roads for Iowa State and Oklahoma, you need Texas. You need Texas to beat Louisiana week one, and you really need them to go put one on Arkansas in week two, which I think is going to be an atmosphere that we haven't seen in a while because those people are going to want Texas blood really bad. Um, so for Iowa State, I agree with you. The thing there is is that – I and, I, and this, we could talk about the Big Ten later, but I think Iowa's going to win the Big Ten West. Um, I, I feel confident in that. I know everybody's on Wisconsin because of what they have coming back, but it's, it's, and that's what gets me to the, the Clemson Georgia game, which I'll talk about, but it almost, it's not, a, it, it, it's weird how this started has started to play out because it's now about what the teams you have beaten have done, you know? So like with Georgia, if Georgia wins, they're going to get Clemson, Clemson, you talk about that schedule, they're going to most likely run the table. So they're always going to have that loss or that win that's going to get carried so much higher than a team that maybe hasn't lost the game. And that's what I think we, we, we lose focus of is these teams that are going week in and week out and winning football games. And that's why I get mad a lot of times because when these teams lose at the top, we don't drop them far enough. And I know we've, we've talked many years and you go back to your top 25 when you had the rank every week and you lost your mind from, you know, 15 to 25. But I'm saying at the top, we when you lose, you've got to drop and keep some undefeated teams. As, at least at the beginning of the season, we have a whole season to play out. Let them teams that lost play their way back in. Yeah, that's where the poll part of it is is like, hey, if we didn't have the polls and we wouldn't do this, be like, yeah, but eventually we start forming opinions about teams. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's impossible it's to remove that from it. Um but I still think whenever anybody goes, well, with the expansion and with the scheduling and the alliance and all this stuff, it's going to have greater non-conference. It's like, dude, if I've learned everything, it's still stop scheduling people. Yeah, <laughs> because, no doubt. Because the, 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 human, the human voting process, it is so hard for them to ignore a good loss. They just can't. And so, I don't know. All right. As far as the Big Ten, though, yep. Um, I was reading a piece on The Athletic, and I think Matt Fortuna had the quote, and it was really good. He was Mm -hmm. talking to a coach and he said, here's the deal. Ohio State's probably weaker than they've been in recent years Mm -hmm. and the teams around them are probably closer and the gap is still massive. (laughs) And so, (laughs) go ahead. I totally agree because, and Fleek and I talk about this week in and week out on our podcast about the idea of the, you know, you talk about quarterback tiers all the time in the NFL. I look at conference and tiers. For the last five years, I would say, Clemson above everybody else in the ACC was the largest gap, right? And now I think that's switched. I I agree. I think it's Ohio State. And when you look at Ohio State, what they've done recruiting is just just stupid. Like, I'm reading a bunch of preseason things. I'm like, wow. I'm like, Big Ten quarterback, first team, 
And everybody's just like, well, whoever wins the Ohio State job, that's who's going to be first team all Big Ten quarterback. And when you factor in a guy like Ryan Day, who has won me over like not a lot of guys can, I can't find – like there's not a lot of holes to poke in. And I heard Bruce with you, t- you know, talking about their defense, and I get it, but they still have five stars coming in to replace these guys. So there's a learning curve you have. Now, I know they have Oregon coming in week two, and they got to be buttoned up, um, you know, for that one. But I think they will. Like, you, you factor in a quarterback situation with a new guy. You have Ryan Day, who I think is the best play caller in the sport. Like, I'll take my, I'll take my shot with that, with that roster. Um, you know, and we talk about when their defense been elite. You know, their defense was shaky last year. But they still have talent down there. And they have, you know, we used to go down to the games early all the time. And I don't think we got a chance to do it when you and I were traveling. But the last couple times that I've gone, my favorite thing to do now is go watch Larry Johnson with that D-line, whatever he has. Like, yeah, it was pretty nice when he had the Boses and Chase Young. But to see those guys get after it pre, pre-game um, is, is something that is just amazing. Like, you just don't see it. And then you see how all these guys become successful at the next level. And it just goes back real quick. There's a cotton bowl SC in Ohio state Darnold. I think it was his last game. And I just remember going out to the D line workout and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, Darnold is going to get crushed tonight. I'm like, he has no chance there because just, they just keep rolling in. You're like, all right, wait, which, which four is the first team, which four is the second team. You You don't know. So I'll take that idea with Ohio state knowing what they have established as far as a coaching staff, a roster, and a talent. And they're talking about the running back already being at J.K. Dobbins' level, and he doesn't even have a carry, I believe, yet. Yeah, I mean, Stroud's going to put up numbers in this yeah. offense. If there's one thing that the they receivers does, are stupid. Right. The receivers are awesome. And, you know, I, I defer to some quarterback people, uh, certainly more so than me, that are around guys in high school. And when Liner talks up Stroud the way he does, I can tell it's specific and that he's not just <laughs> filling time. You know what I mean? Like, Liner's not yeah. the type of guy that's going to start talking some dude up just to talk him up for no reason. So that on top of the fact that Ryan Day is, you know, I think there are a lot of coaches that follow the legend and they draft off him for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. then you start to see the cracks and you go, okay, that's why the legend is the legend. That's why there's mm-hmm. maybe only four or five of these guys that can run that kind of program. But the fact that Day, um, you know, post urban seems to have it at that level. Yeah. Is, is pretty, I mean, it's not just pretty impressive. It's, it's almost unfathomable because it just, it, it's not supposed to happen. That's why the other guy's a legend because he had it at that level. And the yep. next guy isn't just supposed to be able to keep it there. And so far, that's what it feels like with that. And I can't get over the fact too, Ryan, just touching on these top five teams at the top is how hard it is to sustain it, man. When you're getting every – and I know these teams are inferior. We just talked about the lack of talent. But you're going into situations and road games, noon kickoffs, stadiums that are empty. And to keep these kids playing at that level, when you talk about Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, um, and Ohio State, is is just – I mean, it's, I, it's, it's unprecedented. Um, when you see and, and look at the other teams that are trying to get you and they just continue – to, to get by and win these games is, is incredible to me. Oregon, as you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. that'll be uh, both of their second games of the season on the 11th. Uh, yep. They're the highest preseason AP Pac-12 team at 11. Uh, they have a quarterback change. But talent-wise, I'd put their – honestly, I, I just think talent-wise, one through whatever you have 
you know, signed up and allowed to have jerseys. They've done a better job recruiting than anybody else the Pac-12 has. Uh, some would say that they're just more aggressive than everybody else. Um, Arizona State's probably in that mix as far as their aggressiveness too. But, you know, they, they're USC's at 15. Um, I know you're pretty plugged in out there. We don't have the Cardinal anywhere. Um, give me no. your assessment of the top of the Pac-12. Uh, I think Oregon, uh, Washington is the wild card to me. Um, because last year, I, I still don't know what, I mean, they played minimal games. They won the North, but couldn't play in the title game because of COVID. Like Stanford went up and beat them in a game. They sh- like, I was like, this is, this is Washington. I'm like, Stanford was all right. And I mean, they're playing a road game every week because they couldn't practice at their home uh, on campus, but they're the wild card. I mean, I think they're favored now and they're going to Ann Arbor week two. Also, um, they have talent. Jimmy Lake's done a great job of, of sustaining that roster. But I think Oregon is a level above in, in the North. And when you look at the South, I really think it's a free-for-all. Because when you – I think Arizona State, UCLA, USC, and Utah can all win that division, all of them. So when it comes down to scheduling, you know, what does it look like? Utah gets Oregon to come to their place. Um, you know, Washington, I don't think, plays SC or Utah. Uh, so it's – it's, it, it, it's going to be one of those things where Oregon is going to need somebody in the South to have a credible win in that, in that, in that, say, in that conference title game. But are they going to – I mean, they're going to be a good football team, but are they going to be, you know, seven and three, you know, with three losses that are all close in division? Um, you know, you saw what UCLA is, is now. Um, and I, I think with Chip is a really, really um, intriguing thing. They got LSU coming up here. But Chip in the preseason was really, really complimentary of his guys. And we know Chip. He's not like that a lot. So if he's complimentary about his guys, he likes it. Uh, you're going to see that stuff you saw in the first week with just all the misdirection in the run game and just complicating things and, 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 and making sure his guys have edges. And, you know, the defense, you can't get a lot out of what they did against Hawaii. You talk about the returning starters. I know Azanero loves the group he has. And Chip's talked about the cohesiveness, about how much time they spent together and how they bought in. And uh, UCLA is dangerous to me. But I think Utah is the team just because I know what I'm getting there. And when you look at the schedule also, and they get Brewers, a kid from Baylor who took a lot of shots the last couple of years. He's, he's probably in that Adrian Martinez class where he kind of played his best ball as a true freshman, you know, when he had a, when he had. A, you know, some guys around him. And then Fedora came into Baylor last year, that mix, they get a new DC and then he leaves for Salt Lake. But I would take Whittingham and my chances with Utah in the South there. Yeah. And another thing with UCLA too, and I don't, I don't always love this because I think NFL coaches do it all the time. They don't realize like the average margin of victory is always almost one score, no matter what. And you're like, Oh, we had this many one score yeah. losses. But if you looked at UCLA, if you just watched the product, oh. it was better but you're not allowed to say it when it's like a three and four team. But the six point loss to Colorado open the season, then they miss a game. They don't play. Oh, that was weird because they had like a, a rescheduling of yep. it. They lose to yeah, Oregon they by three. Cal on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And then they, they lost to Stanford, UCLA, and Oregon. And they had four fourth quarter leads in every single game. Right. So if they're a little bit better, but then again, we may not even know until after LSU because if we switch it over to the SEC, there's no way LSU is going to be as bad as, as they were last year. I mean, no. if you ever want to talk – like I was kind of kidding around. We were joking and I said, I wonder if we'd be better at college football predictions if we gave ourselves two weeks or if we just do what we do now because there is no sport that we all talk about that we know less than. It's just – it's mm-hmm. it's impossible to know more and we're talking about turnover 
in college and all these quarterbacks who like, look, if you're a top basketball recruit coming out of high school, the chances are we know where you're going to be somewhat impactful. Yeah. I mean, not everybody is, but it's definitely all over the place more so with quarterbacks. And if you went back to last year and you said, okay, you know, how would I feel if I gave myself a couple of weeks? Would I be better? And you're like, I don't know. The Mississippi State kid looked like he was going in the first round and winning the Heisman and then he got benched. So uh, there's no way LSU will be as bad, I would not think. And I, I seriously think, too, that the, what they were doing with the quarterback is, you know, Max being the starter. Yeah. He was the best guy that I saw at the position. And in a weird way, you were like, why did it take so long to get to him? Um, but there's just still too much talent there for LSU to be as bad as they were last year. Uh, totally agree. And that's why it's a fascinating matchup this week, because when you look at it, I go back to Max Johnson, as you mentioned, being the starter. And I watched the Florida, the shoe throw game again last week. And I still can't believe they won that game. Like I, you go back and, and watch what had to transpire for them to win. But for O to get his team to that point, I thought was pretty darn remarkable because it shows the guys are, are still bought in and the quarterback situations all over the place. They finally get the kid Bootsy to, to get some targets and look what he does with the ball. They come back, they, you know, they win a shootout against Ole Miss. Uh, they frustrate Corral enough. I think he threw all of his picks in like three games last year, which is, which is pretty crazy to me. Um, but LSU, I love, I love Johnson. Um, as the quarterback there because it gives you stability, man. Like you look at these teams that struggle that have, you know, have done well recruiting. It usually goes back to, you know, picking the wrong guy or, or the wrong guy not winning the job in, in, you know, in camp. So there's a lot going on there. They obviously evacuated uh, to Houston. They're going out to Pasadena. You know, now, you know, people had, you know, you know, you talk to people down there. I talked to people. They were all planning on going, you know, out to the Rose Bowl for the game. Now you don't know. We saw what the crowd looked like for UCLA, so it's not going to be a really home game, but it never really is unless you play at Washington and Oregon in that conference. <laughs> um, so with LSU, to me, I just – you hear everybody talk about the West, and it's like Mississippi State's going to be better. Ole Miss is going to be better. Arkansas, remember them last year? They, they started out well, and A&M's going to be better. But it can't – they all can't win nine or ten games, man. Like, like they're going to have to beat each other. So – I know people are picking, you know, Bama to win it. I honestly think AM has a really good chance to win that division. I look at Jimbo. He's a guy, he's won 78% of his games, you know, know. And, and when you look at the up and down the sport, and now we got Mac Brown in, but we lost less miles. There's only that four or five that have won national titles. Jimbo's one of those guys. And when you look at how he's constructed that roster, roster and you, you know, I, I don't think, you know, they, it feels like to me the Aggie fans have, taken over as the number one fan base that sells their recruits like oh we got this guy he's a baller you know like they have pumped up their recruits more than anybody so when you look at what they lost on the offensive line you got no more excuses you got all these four and five stars coming in you talk to people that are around the program that have seen Haynes King I've never seen him but they really like the idea of him in this offense and the dynamic that he brings and the different things he could do as opposed to Kellen Mond which we watched for the last eight years in College Station. So I, I, I really think A&M, they get Bama to come to College Station. We've been there for that game. We know how crazy it is. Um, I, I think A&M's a, a real threat to Alabama in the West. I want to pick them just because I didn't want to pick the same four teams. I, I'm just not sure. Uh, <laughs> I picked you know, them the, last year, and that's how the, close I was. Well, that was good, though, because you're right there. And I would think, you know, even if you were 
I probably wasn't as high on even the last version of Kellen Mond that we saw. Like when people mm-hmm. were talking about him in the draft, I was like, man, I don't know. I've just watched him too many Saturdays where every series is like, it's not the same guy. It's like one series, you're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. And the next series is like, oh, this is why this is so frustrating. And the overall numbers are better. Um, yep. I get it. Um, and King, if you if you watch, like I think he was the number five dual threat coming out yeah. of this class anyway. So that's like the big thing with him. And you're like, well, wait, Mond actually ran it. So it's kind of funny to yeah. hear guys say like, oh, he adds another element. And you're like, well, wait, it's even when Mond was frustrating, he could always get out and run. He was so big mm-hmm. um, that that was a real weapon to him. And, and Haynes is small. I mean, he looks pretty slight. So we'll see. Um, he's the higher regarded recruit between how it went down to the battle. So I guess I'm not yeah. entirely shocked that it's him. But the non-conference is Kent, Colorado, New Mexico. Um, geez, I didn't even... Who's the other one here? Oh, Prairie Kent View. State? Yeah. yeah no, the, Prairie they, View is is uh, the game before LSU. Ooh. So they finish at LSU, but they got... Trap game. Got, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Lay the, take Prairie View in the points now. We're giving that one out for uh, November 20th. For you on that one. Um, the other thing, too, about LSU, it was kind of funny, is that there was even the thought that Dickie Brennan could get the job back, and I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, th- honestly, I think they just liked him so much, and he was around, and he lost the job to Burrow that they felt bad, and then they gave him the job, and then he breaks his <laughs> arm, and then there's, like, reports, but, like, he could still come back. You're like, would he? Like, he may come back and be on the team, but I don't I don't know that the other Nussmeyer and and Johnson would have to both be terrible. All right, let's, let's look at Georgia, then, in the East, because... Uh-huh. Brad was was very uh, I think it was very telling that he's like, look, when Georgia plays other teams that are in their stratosphere, the same amount of talent, it hasn't gone well. They beat up all the teams they're supposed to. But when they're supposed to beat these teams that are really good, that they have the same recruiting rankings as. And that's the thing is Kirby's been able to just roll the guys in there. Yeah. They have Muschamp now on staff, too, which has to help. Sure do. Uh, but people. I don't know. I, I guess the Kirby thing, like sometimes I'll just be like, look, all right, so he lost to Bama. Like everybody loses to Bama. All the yeah. assistants lose to Saban. So what are we really talking about here? Some some major, major problem. But then again, if you're Georgia at some point, you're like, hey, we got we to get through this at some point and beat one of these teams. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a weird dynamic, man. Like they got there that fast, you know, in the title game. You're right. And it then, was like that. No, it's a great yeah. point. And then they get into that predicament of, all right, they're the SEC team that lost. Are they motivated to play in the Sugar Bowl against Texas? Texas comes in, we're back, they win. Then the they next smoked year, them too. Yo, that yeah. was that was like impressive. And that and that's where you get, you know, you get the, you know, and and then it gets to the point where the Georgia players are being asked, "Are you motivated to play in this game?" Of course they're <laughs> going to say yes. And, you know, so the next year they get Baylor, who was way undermanned and was probably a couple snaps away from making the playoff uh, in that in that uh, Big Twelve title game against Oklahoma. I believe I think that was Kyler Murray or no that was Hertz's year, and and then you look at Georgia with the you know then they come back they lose to South Carolina early with Fromm, and it's just you you want and I've I've, I've said before I have Georgia fatigue because I don't understand why they keep getting the benefit of of when they're you know the losses they have, um, it feels like they still get in higher regard you know a couple of years ago they had Notre Dame come to them. They, they, they're a big favorite and they, you know, squeak by there. But what it doesn't make sense to me is the recruiting there. Okay. They've, they've recruited out of the, out of the world, but now you look at it and they got offensive line issues now in camp. And now without pickets, they don't have a receiver. Like how are you Georgia? And you don't have a receiver. Like I think back to Aaron Murray, like the receivers he had, like Georgia's always had receivers and now 
you're worried that you don't have guys and, and against Clemson in a game where, you know, you have a chance to win that game. And now it's going to be decided because you've recruited all five stars on the offensive line. And now you've got a couple injuries. That I don't think they know who's going to play center yet, which is a serious problem because when I watch proceed for Clemson, number 11, uh, that's a guy that could just, you know, put him, put him right in the middle and just say wreak havoc. Um, so it just, it's so puzzling to me. Um, and I, I will say, I think they did get screwed last year when they had to transfer quarterback from Wake Forest, who I thought was going to be a good player. And then he bails on him in the middle of camp. So that screwed up their whole quarterback situation um, for the whole year. And, you know, they obviously didn't play that bad at Bama, but, you know, got seduced by the big plays. Um, but they're just, I mean, and now you look at Florida in that division, who I think is going to take a step back, even though I know Mullen's good with quarterbacks and they get Bama to come to them. But, like, I honestly think, like, Kentucky's probably the second-best team in the East. Um, when you look at them, they've been, you know, running an offense from the nineteen, you know, early 1900s the last couple of years and still, you know, winning football games. But you get Levis, who's a former Connecticut quarterback. Yeah, I'm biased towards him because I want him to do well. But he was at Penn State. He left there. And then they get the kid from Wandale Robinson from uh, Nebraska, who's a huge playmaker, basically their best offensive player. And they get, um, you know, the guy from the Rams to come in and run the offense. So I think Kentucky's the second-best team in the East, which gets me to the depth of that division. They have three first-year coaches. And I don't expect anything from those teams. So that looks like three easy wins to me with Vandy, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Um, so I, I, I don't think Georgia's going to get challenged really much. Um, and that's why I think this first game is – is, is what I want to see from them because it's one of the few times we're going to see them play against comparable talent. And just so I can um, clean up something when I said Texas smoked them, it was a one-score game, but it was 28-7 in yes. that bowl game of the 18th season. And if you watched it, the fact that Texas just ran all over them. So, you know, you score a couple of late touchdowns and make it a one-score game. Uh, yep. that, doesn't, that doesn't do it for me, but I just know I just know how it goes. It's going to be like, oh, they smoked them. It was 28-21. You're like, yeah, did you watch that and feel like they were close? Because they weren't. Um, all right. New, se new segment should be Rosillo digging in box scores. That's yeah. going to be good. Yeah, we'll put that in the B side of things. <laughs> Give me, um, give me your Notre Dame take. Uh, I've, I'm getting crushed by this, but I think they have the best running back, uh, running back set in, in the country. Um, they obviously got Mayer back at tight end. They got another young kid. Uh, I think he's from Cincinnati, um, who's, who's going to be a stud tight end. They obviously have offensive line guys. I do think they're going to have a lot more speed at receiver, which I think is going to help Cone a ton because the one thing that was weird, and when you go back to Boykin and, and Claypool and those guys, like especially last year with, with, with Ian, he didn't have any game, like guys that, on third and five that could just separate. You know, they, they I mean, Skoranek was a nice player. I, th I still think he's on an NFL roster, but he, I mean, he's a possession guy, but you didn't have that elusive guy that you could put in the slot and, you know, help move the chains. Um, I do think they got a lot to replace on defense. Um, a fascinating game against Wisconsin at Soldier Field early this year. Uh, they get Cincinnati to come to them. They get Carolina to come to them. And, I mean, Monday night, Ryan, or Sunday night in Tallahassee, I have no idea what to expect from Florida State. Like, when you go in there and look at the transfer portal and look at their roster, it's like they flipped it upside down. And they announced, um, you know, split quarterbacks with Milton and, and the other guy who beat North Carolina last year. 
but I could, I, I, I'd be happy. Even I, you know, I think, I think nine and three is, is this, is the floor for Notre Dame. I really do. Um, I, I think Cone's a guy who, when you go back and look, and, you know, he had that big old knee brace on at Wisconsin. He still went to the Rose Bowl, and it was a crazy play at the end where Herbert runs that one in. But I thought Wisconsin was the better team going into that game, and I, I, I think Cone's. I mean. He's a locker room guy too. You hear you hear people talk about how much Wisconsin missed him when he left last year, and you saw their downfall once that season got going. Um, but I, I'd be excited if I was a Notre Dame fan because you got it. You got excitement. You got playmakers. So much speed at running back. So I, I think the floor is nine and three for them. Who's your favorite quarterback then in college? Is it Hal? Uh I yeah, I like Sam a lot. I'm I'm really interested to see Ritter because I I mean I see what he's capable of. And um, and I I, I just want to see him on the road at Indiana, on the road at South Bend. Like I, that, those are huge spots for him. I'll tell you, there's a guy who I really like a lot is Dylan Gabriel at UCF. I think you know he gets comparisons, obviously, from you know Hawaii and and being a lefty to Tua and stuff like that. But you talk about being smooth and pretty with the football, man. Like that guy. I mean, week in and week out. Like I I think it was two years ago. Stanford went there. I mean, they had uh, corner, NFL corner Paulson and Debo's on the Saints now. Um, I mean, they came out right at him, right at him. Uh, and, and I was like, holy cow. I mean, it's deep balls, hitches, overs. He can make every throw. Um, he's a guy that I really enjoy watching. I'm actually fired up Thursday night to see him against Bachmeyer, uh, the quarterback for Boise State. But I, I think Dylan Gabriel might be up there as my favorite guy. Wow. I was not expecting Dylan Gabriel. Um, mm-hmm. All right. You want to do some over-unders? Yeah, let's do it. What do you want? Illinois, three and a half. Can we still get that? Oh, that last week, that's a win. Last week was a last week was a total. Um, and that's why it was tough. I said if I like I like to try and pick these so you don't have to sweat the whole season. So Illinois <laughs> You'll just know. Yeah, you just know right away. So like Illinois, I think it was three and a half. Like there's no way they were getting the four without winning that game last week. And Nebraska, on the other hand, was six, I think. There's no way they're getting – look at their schedule. They have to go to Norman in three weeks. With that team they just put out in Champaign, they're going to play at Oklahoma. Like, that. name that score. We'll see. We'll see if it's as bad. Because I actually – the crazy thing about that Nebraska game is I liked their – I love their ends. I love their – but especially when, when nothing is going right for you at any other element of the game, then your defense just starts going, all right, like what are we doing yeah. out here? Um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's – that's why I mean, open with a. I, I, it, it sounds bad saying, it, but like, Bielema, you know, you know, he had no idea what to expect, and I know Frost is getting crushed for talking about the four man front, but like, there definitely was some things Bielema did to um, offset and frustrate Nebraska. You saw that offense, you know, struggle and then get it going late. The um, problem but, for Nebraska is though is it's like okay, what are you doing? And you just yeah. go okay, it's the only game on. We've been waiting a year, mm-hmm. and you guys, it's the only like Power Five game that we got. So then, literally, everyone is watching this game, and then now the angst of Nebraska. If they just lost this on a normal Saturday noon Eastern window, like they're certainly yeah. capable of doing again this year. Nobody would even give a shit. So it's that was kind of my money. You know, it was my Monday Night Football quarterback theory, yeah. where if you're the only thing that we're watching now, literally everyone on social media becomes a Nebraska expert um because i mean it was just a sloppy ugly game but mm-hmm. i don't know i 
it's it's kind of funny because I read an article. It was like, now what do you do if you're Nebraska? You try Frost. You're like, I, you know, maybe you stop firing people and giving everybody buyouts. <laughs> I know Nebraska loves giving out buyouts, but maybe maybe yeah. you stop doing that. All right, um, give me uh, give me another total here. I got an over. Uh, Boston College is a team in the <laughs> ACC. They're in Clemson. I'm telling you, I, I really like the way this team's constructed. Uh, last year, you go back, they lost four or five games to ranked teams. They went toe-to-toe with Clemson and North Carolina. Two losses combined 10 points. They bring Jerkovic back, who's, a, who's an NFL quarterback, uh, transfer from Notre Dame. Zay Flowers is a receiver who might be the best in the conference. They get a kid, Trey Berry, who was an uh, FCS All-American at Northwestern State, and he's going to be their tight end. This dude's like 6'6", six, six, a, a total stud. And their offensive line, all five are back. They got the big kid Zion, who's a, he's a big kid. I, I call him little Damian Woody. That's what he reminds me of. Damian loves watching him. Uh, so, And you got Vrabel's son. I believe he's going to be at left tackle. But just the idea of Halfley coming in and admitting, you know, they were the first teams, I think, to pull the plug on the previous year. And then at him admitting that they were super vanilla last year and knowing what he could do defensively, as we saw, you know, with that Ohio State team three years ago, I just like the idea. No Notre Dame, no North Carolina, no Miami on the schedule. Um, I just I like the way they're built. I, they got their quarterback um, and their defense has got some uh, transfers coming in. And I, I just think Boston College, when you look at that ACC, there's 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 games that are that are there to be to be won. Uh, now, they haven't won eight games since 2009. Uh, so we got that going against us. But we'll go BC. Uh, what is it? Com Ave will be rocking. Com Ave will be rocking. Yeah, there we go. Depending on the nice stretch of Com Ave. People didn't believe me when I said that. Like, well, I lived, I lived on the nicest stretch of Com Ave towards BC, not not the McShay part of Com Ave. That's the beginning uh, of the city. All right, uh, I'm going to give you an over. We already did it. A and M nine and a half. Okay. I've just I'm I'm sneaky, kind of wanting to pick him to win the West, and then on staying with that theme, I almost want to throw you an under on seven and a half Ole Miss, uh, just because. You go, okay, somebody has to be the fourth best team. And if they're the yes. fourth best team, can they get to eight wins? I mean, they could, you know, they got Louisville to open. Um, you know, I know that the the voters like Ole Miss, even though they're not in there, they're kind of just outside of the top 25 in both the AP and the coaches. Mm-hmm. And we know that they're going to score points. I mean, that's not, yeah. but it's it's just, is it going to break right for them in a year where we feel like they might be the fourth or fifth best team in the division? And so then it's like, okay, so maybe uh, maybe that's easy pickings at under seven and a half. Yeah, it's just a matter of can the defense get any stops? Yeah. And like when it's come down to it, when they've needed it, they haven't even shown they can do it. Um, and I know, you know, they I, I know they won their their bowl game uh against Indiana, but Indiana was not even close to the team they were once Penix got hurt. Uh but I, I could I, I'm with you there because somebody I would lean Mississippi State under also in that. Like I, I think Ole Miss might be a touch above. Uh, Mississippi State, but both those teams, I don't expect them to go over their season win totals. I I, I think they're up against it when you look at Alabama, A&M, and uh, LSU. All right, I'll give you one more, and then you can There we go. Give me some winners, kid. Give me uh, give me the over seven and a half for TCU. Uh, that's that's the wild card uh, in that in that conference because obviously Oklahoma, Iowa State, right? So who's that third team? You talk about Oklahoma State, who's a team that, to me, it just feels like they underachieve, and they've had, they've always had a wide receiver. They always got the running back. I don't know about that this guy this year, um, 
But TCU, the quarterback's got some big guts, man. He's a, he's a tough kid. Uh, and you, you, you would think Patterson would, would get it going when, when, the, when the, those teams in, in Texas, I put in that tier with, with um, TCU and Oklahoma State as, as who's going to challenge those top two teams. But, I mean, the track record shows you Patterson will be there. Um, I, 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 they're, they're, I, I don't know what to expect, but if I had to lean, I would go over there. I do like Kansas State in that conference. Um, I think that they're, they're going to be heard from the way their schedule plays out. Okay. Um, you got one more? You want to you give out Kansas over one and a half wins? No, but I will give you, even though they looked as bad as they could and not as bad as their cleats melting on the Fresno State turf last week, Uh-oh. I will give you UConn over, okay? It's not going to be pretty, but we get Yale, we get Holy Cross, and we got UMass, okay? I heard That's UMass three. is heading in the right direction this year. And you also have Middle Tennessee. You get Wyoming to come to the rent. You never know. And you get Army. You never know. Uh, but I would take my chances there. Um, you saw their effect. How about where is it? In 2018, they gave up 8.9 yards per play. That's almost impossible. Wait, but, UConn did? Yes. You just throwing out some bad UConn stats from a couple years yeah. ago? Okay. That's what I'm saying. Can't be can't be worse. That's I mean, no, that's it's a that's first a lot. Down every play. That's bad. That's not what you're looking for. You want to tighten that up. You know what you need to do? Come back next year. Because I was going to give out some awards, and I just said, screw it, because it's the same thing over and over again. Because I can't wait to see what happens with Michigan. New coordinators, a whole deal. Everybody's really young. They went young. And then they were like, we're playing music. And you're like, oh, yeah. You guys are playing music at practice. It's going to be awesome this year. And I'm not even doing that. to make. It's just the whole idea of every time you get rid of everybody, then you come in the next year and you're more aggressive. You play music and the energy is better. And it may very well be that because I think some of the assistants before were almost a hundred. Um, yes. And I, and I give him credit for that, you know, knowing how different the, the, the recruiting rankings in and seeing how important social media is now in recruiting. But when you look at their roster, they just don't have any guys that you're scared of. Like, Hey, we got to double cover this guy this week. When we play Michigan, we got to make sure we have this guy accounted for. They just don't have those guys. There's no threat of 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 being scared or big play capability, and that's what that's what worries me with Michigan, which seems like they've always had an NFL receiver or running back, and they just they just I don't I just don't see it on the roster. That is our college football preview with Stanford Steve, part of Sports Center, and uh, I'm happy for you. And also your podcast. Give a shout out to that one, you and Felica. Stanford Steve and the Bear, usually out Wednesdays every week. Picks. Uh, we did all our conference previews. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, there's plenty of people. How about you'll love this one, Ryan? We did Big Ten last week and f- we forgot Minnesota. Minnesota people are not happy. So we got a full Minnesota preview coming this week. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last year you finished under 500? There is one. I know. I so, can't remember one. No. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for the jinx. Appreciate it. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Okay, here we go, guys. This one's heavy, but um, I think we can get through it. 510-180, found myself in an uncomfortable situation with my wife, her boss, slash friend. Some background, we have three kids. We're 32. I got her pregnant at the end of our freshman year of college. Unfortunately, everything's worked out since. All right. We're generally happy with our lives, make decent money, uh, and I'm not even going to say where they live. As you might imagine, we both struggle with the loss of our youth, spending our 20s changing diapers and losing sleep over fussy children rather than partying and traveling. We've worked really hard to get where we are at now. My wife struggled with school and really should have gotten into a trade, but her parents are dicks, and she was pretty... Um, and she was pretty, so despite her love of manual labor, uh, she was forced into a private school education and in college. Um, I don't understand the pretty part of this. And whatever. Okay, all right. So she spent the first 12 years of our marriage at home with the kids doing school when she could and supporting me as I got degrees and worked my ass off to make money. During COVID, while my job easily translated to working at home, she formed a relationship with a local contractor painter and began working for him. She's smart, attractive, and competent. So... Uh, she's been very valuable over the last past year in the business, helping it grow. And she's also uh, got out of the house doing the work she loves. She's also grown close to her boss, a 40-ish dude who's married to a Brazilian bombshell, though he's a dumpy alcoholic, short white dude. Okay. Uh, a lot of stuff there. He has no kids, but over the past year, he's become a great friend to her as they run the business along with uh, being my friend and a great quasi-uncle to our kids. My wife's always gotten along with uh, better with guys than women. She has strong female friends, but I've made peace with the fact that she forms close relationships with dudes. Unfortunately, her relationship with her boss took a turn when both of them, drunk at a bar, had a questionable moment. She was super comfortable with him and felt it was okay to do an up and down touch and feel with her breasts, which are quite uneven. It's actually science. That does happen. Um, just so he could realize their unevenness. I've never cared about uh, <laughs> their lack of congruity. They're not dramatically uneven, okay, uh, but she has large breasts, and despite the damage that three breastfed uh, kids did to them. All right, we, all checks out. I got home from a men's basketball game where I rolled my ankle, and she sat me down and told me. We we're very honest with each other, and I can't express, given how much we've been through, that I believe it was her trying to be one of the guys just fucking around. Look, I'm not ending my marriage over this. It's just frustrating. I see the big picture of the situation because this guy has no kids, um, and she could take over his business someday. We have a special needs child who's five, and I see him working with his mom one day painting because that might be all he can do. All right. Um, I don't know if that's true. But I, I get your point here. She's upset knowing she crossed the line. She's always upfront about her and her boss's relationships with me. They go on networking lunches a lot. And I'm okay with it because she spent so much time with the kids. I'm happy she's getting out in the world. The problem is that she's somewhat sheltered uh, given that we spent our time in our 20s, right, 
and now she's learning about going out and that stuff. I'm frustrated because I love the situation for her and down the line for our son, but I'm mad at her and her boss, who I consider a friend, that they thought this was okay. I understand it wasn't sexual, but no dude should be touching my wife's breast, regardless of how interesting their juxtaposition is. I'm not sure how to feel about this. I honestly want to keep her working with him because it's good for her on and on and on. It's an awkward situation. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, you know, look, I, I think on the, on the realm of, if we had a, a sliding scale of stuff that could be happening, you know, on the, and the cheating part of it is the straight up, Hey, married and an affair, hotel rooms, maybe even a weekend together, lies and lies and lies, um, that could ruin a family and, and forever damage the relationship or somehow people get through that. You know, some of you have, some of you haven't, who knows? Um, I can't imagine the guilt part if I had, was going to try to pull something like that off or you just go, Hey, the, the love is, it's a, it's a void. And now I'm doing what I need to do to survive. Or maybe your wife's doing it to you because that's just the instinct of it all. Right. All right. A lot of factors, a lot of factors. You luckily have none of that happening. When I try to think of like all the times, if I were married, which obviously I spent a great deal uh, of time examining, but if I were to think back of like, what, what could happen where you'd be like, all right, this is acceptable. Like castaway. I think Helen Hunt making out with Tom Hanks in the garage before he gets his Jeep back, like that one's acceptable. Like if my wife were going to marry a guy that landed, you know, his, his plane crashed and he ended up on a deserted island for years and then he magically made it back on a raft and then she made out with him real quick in the garage, I think I'd be able to process that one. I'd be the, so that's the castaway. In this case, I think the problem is here is that it's great that your wife is this honest and you've, you've rationalized it for her you know, you've, you've thought it all out, which is really admirable. And you don't seem like raging upset. You're just upset about the situation. I think the fact is the guy here doesn't have any respect for you. You may think he does, or maybe you do get along. I mean, you've mentioned that you get along here, but he, this is what, this is what I know about like, and this is male or female by the way, but you'll kind of like see what you can get away with. Right. And you'll, you'll test it. You know, there, those guys that I'll know and I can just tell like what they're doing and they're like throwing something out there to see what kind of reaction they get. And so if this guy's a drunk and he's just kind of getting after it and, and your wife is really attractive and they're together all the time, it's not great that she put herself in this situation, but at the same time, the fact the guy was more than down for, you know, I guess we're saying in uh, unsupervised examination here um, that it's um, this is a guess, but I wonder if this is a guy being like, let me see how far I can go with this. And then maybe I'm planting the seed for something else down the road. So I, I would have a major problem with my wife going back to work for this guy. Um, if we're talking about painting and local contracting stuff, she could go ahead, make a business card and get out there and, and do this on her own and probably a very short amount of time. You know, that's, that's what advertising's for. And it might end up being a great move for her to go ahead and start to do this on her own. Um, and you can get her away from this guy. I mean, if he is all of these things that you said he is describing him this way, then I would think long-term, I wouldn't want my wife hanging out with this kind of guy in the first place, especially if he, like, I don't know if you talk to this guy about it. Like I just, my sense is it's this guy, if your wife is that attractive, is like, Hey, this is kind of cool. And then you know, now we'll, now we'll see where this goes, even if your wife is sort of horrified that she did it. And just to even have some element of that going on, um, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. 
it doesn't sound like you would either. And I, I'd be curious what would happen. It's like, hey, I, I'd prefer if you weren't actually like working with that guy or if you're only working with them, not going out um, and doing that. But it isn't the end of the world. Or, you know, maybe some people process it differently and say, hey, it's actually not that big of a deal if everybody knows each other. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I would go there with it. But the fact that he would do it, I think is maybe more problematic than your wife doing this. Kyle, you got anything for us on this one? Um, yeah, a few things. I think this guy has a good sense of humor about it. I liked all his um, descriptor words about congruencies and stuff like that. I think that really li- like had a little levity to the situation. Um, but uh, it's definitely like in a perfect world, free the nipple. But it, I know it's not a perfect world. So I guess what I'm saying is, is like women like with their friends will do that. It's not like guys like it's like it'd be weird if like guys were like showing their balls to each other, but like women like do that to their friends. And maybe this was like a situation of like, you know, forgot where we were and who we were, but I'm just like friends with you and we're drunk. And then maybe everybody kind of came back to reality. And I think you're right. The the guy sort of is doing the see what he can get away with stuff. So for the husband, just kind of remember like a reality check to you like, oh, man, everybody doesn't care about how you feel like. So I think it's like a little bit of everything. But I, like you said, I think it's not the end of the world. It's a little uncomfortable. But I mean, like you said, like the guy said, like, I don't think you can say I don't want I don't want to have her working there because you really can't have her working, whatever. So I think you just got to kind of let her um, decide how she wants to move forward. And if she wants to start her own business and have overhead for painting, yeah, fine. But if not, like, you know, just remember that um, that that guy isn't your friend. He's really only uh, her coworker and he only cares about himself. But it's not the end of the world. You got painting overhead in there too, which I'm I'm impressed by. Yeah, you need a I, truck and you need paint, right, and stuff. Yeah, but overhead for painting is is way cheaper than overhead for other stuff, manual labor. I mean, talking, you know, air guns, roofing, framing. You have That's a fair. completely different setup. Finish carpentry, flooring. You know, we're talking a lot of different systems. Oh, if she drives a sedan, though. That's just another couple thousand dollars you're going to have to work around. Um, I, I have an important meeting here in just a matter of minutes. So I'm going to do one more that we got a lot of here. So I'm sorry this isn't the longest life advice we've ever done. Um, the number of people that have, that have written in to defend the CrossFit pull-up. Uh, look, it's just easier, man. It's just easier. Good for you. You know what I always say about it? Anybody that's out there doing it, that's great. But like we had a Will Kane Hasselbeck pull-up thing. And I remember sitting there in disbelief being like, wait, you said you can do 30 pull-ups? He's like, yeah, I can do 30 pull-ups. I'm like, you can just do 30 straight pull-ups. He's like, well, no, the, the, what is it? The Kipling, I think. I don't know. And I was like, okay, well then like, that's not. Yeah. If you have to make the caveat, then it's, you can't do it. Period. Because there's almost, right, there's not, I don't know that there's any guys just walking down the street that could do 30 pull-ups, 30 normal pull-ups, unless you're just a freak gymnast guy who, like, somehow specializes in pull-ups. Yeah, like Jeremy Um, Scott could do 30 pull-ups. I don't know if he could do 30 pull-ups. You think so? Because he's he's pretty big. 30 pull-ups is a ton of pull-ups. I I don't think you're giving pull-ups enough respect, but I... Maybe not, but... I think I've given Jeremy the, the the proper respect. I don't know. I just I don't understand. Right. I don't understand why you would care that much. Like it, it kind of, it's kind of like this, the whole soccer thing. It's like, it's not soccer. It's soccer guys. So I'm just telling you, like, I get that this movement is an actual exercise. It's just not 
the same. Okay. It's like the sumo deadlift person, legs as far apart as possible, cross grip, you know, and then it's like, hey, look at my new personal record deadlifting or some of the guys that do these bench things that I still can't believe. You're like, what was that rep? Like that, that went like four inches. What was that? And you're like, oh, you know, crush it. 315 again. And you're like, well, then these, these are different things. And I, I don't know why we have to pretend they're not different things. And I just think the push-ups, or the, excuse me, the pull-ups, um, I didn't know. Yeah, we had the guy saying the CrossFit push-up, and I was, I was totally lost at that one. So I guess it's just my final statement on the pull-up thing. Um, I, I don't know why, why it's being argued. You know, The fact that you're out there doing it and whatever exercise it is, that's great. You deserve all the credit in the world. I'm just not going to – don't tell people, don't tell random people you, you can do 30 pull-ups because you, you can't do it the way most of us have processed pull-ups. Unless Question. you get one of those certificates. Yeah, go ahead. Do non-wide grip regular pull-ups count to you? Yeah, wide right, grip, because it's even non-wide, harder. Non-wide yeah. grip. Oh. I'm, saying, I'm saying close grip. What do you mean? Like turn yeah, around? I don't know. Yes. Turn, not turn. I just I would be devastated if you said they didn't count. Thank you. Here's what I would also ask. How many times do you guys have to update your personal number on a pull-up just in, in your everyday life? Does it happen much? It's been a while. Exactly. Maybe since like junior high certificate? That was a big deal, though. I used to, I, I remembered all my stats from junior high, like the mile, all that stuff, the pull-ups and sit-ups. What was I your always had my stats ready for anyone to ask me about it. My mile was like 545. I was fast. What's up? I am fast. <laughs> well, I was fast. <laughs> Last week, I ran a black pepper snake. Okay, uh, that'll do it again. Life Advice RR at Gmail. Make sure you subscribe. And uh, coming up uh, later this week, we're going to have Booger McFarland. We'll do some college and NFL. And then Scott Hansen, Red Zone style. Um, so a lot of a lot of football as we gear up for the first real week of college ball. And then, of course, going into next week, we're back to three podcasts and pretty NFL heavy. So let's get it. <laughs>